Okay, if I can ask you to take your seats, we're going to begin. So uh, if you could just uh, settle, we're going to start in just a minute. Well, I need. I'll, I'll just stand off to the side. How's that? Okay. All right. Has everyone got some lunch? Perfect. Uh, it's been a great day so far. I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting a lot out of it. And uh, our next speaker is um, promises to deliver. Uh, he is the uh, the top PR blogger. Uh, his blog, Micro Persuasion, is. Well, some would say the most influential, most read PR blog in the world. And uh, if you read that story, um, blogs will change your business. In Business Week, um, three years ago, it was you taking off a sweatshirt in Grand Central or something like that? Or? Coat, yeah. Okay. Coat. And, uh, and now uh, they updated the story and they got your point of view as well. I'm sure you're going to tell us about that. Uh, Steve Rubell is a digital marketer with over 15 years of experience. He currently serves as SVP, Director of Insights for Edelman Digital, a division of Edelman, the world's largest independent PR firm. Uh, Steve is charged with helping Edelman clients identify key insights, trends, and emerging digital platforms that can be applied in marketing programs. He also explores these topics on his well-read Persuasion blog and his bi-weekly column for Ad Age Digital. Help me welcome Steve Rebell. Thanks, Eric. Good afternoon. Um, I'm really happy to be here today. Um, as Eric mentioned, I, I, I'm very fortunate in that I have the best job in the world. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, the, the great Joe DiMaggio uh, said, I thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee. And, uh, and I feel very much the same way about Edelman and, uh, and the work we're doing as an agency. Um, so I'm going to talk to you today about some trends that we're looking at and, and we're studying. My, as Eric mentioned, my job is to really just study all this stuff. I mean, whether it be different websites, technologies, social trends, business trends, and to make sense of it all for our clients and really de derive actionable insights. And I actually think that that needs to be kind of become every PR person's job, whether you're in, you're in an agency or in a corporate setting. You need to be playing around with this stuff, trying to make sense of what matters to you and your business and your industry, and then trying to derive some action from it that's going to have meaning. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, what we've largely focused on as an, as an industry is mass, right? We're trying to reach as many people as we can as efficiently as possible, and whether it's PR or advertising, um, that's just what, what's been our business. It's, it's been about mass, and I'm sure a lot of you to this day still count up how many uh, impressions you generate or how many people you reach at a given time. But um, I'm here to inform you that, unfortunately, um, mass is dying. Um, and it actually really began to, to die a, a few years ago. And by the way, there's a great website where you can go and you can go make your own tombstone. So uh, I highly recommend it. Um, if, you know, if you have a, a, a friend or an ex-friend or, or, or an ex-wife or something that you, that you might want to you know, gently send a message to, you now have a way to do that. It makes for great, it's uh, great for PowerPoint too. 
But you know, mass reach really began to erode. Uh, and it's because you know, what we've really seen is that people are latching on to each other, to peers, to, to, to really have news and content that comes to them that has meaning. And it's less about reach and it's much more about the impact that, uh, that a given uh, uh, co that content will have. Um, and even when you do reach a lot of people, I hate to tell you, this is what mass looks like now. Um, you know, and, and you know, if, you, uh, if you got a hit on, the, on 60 Minutes last, uh, on Sunday, this is largely what you, uh, what you picked up. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a matter of just how, this is how things are changing. It's just a matter of that you, you know, mass means nothing because, first of all, it's very passive. And, and it also is, is beginning to disintegrate. On the other hand, though, and obviously you heard about this, I'm sure, a lot today, is you, know, you have this whole microsphere uh, that's rising. And, I, and I, you know, I, uh, I, I, uh, I had a brain burp, and I called it micro-persuasion uh, when I wrote it, and I was lucky. Um, but that's largely what has happened, um, is, that, you know, is that you have a lot of individuals who are now around the world creating their own content, and, and that's just going to continue. Now, where they do that? is going to change. I mean, today is, it's blogging and video and Twitter and friend feed and all these different sites. Tomorrow, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to guess like everybody else. But the trend is, is you know, the generation that grew up with the net expects to be able to create content wherever and whenever they want, and it is global. The interesting thing about this photo, which I love, by the way, is that it does come from China. Um, and so obviously, we've seen a lot of things happen from that. I, I know. Um, um, Josh was here earlier and he was talking about, I'm sure he talked about the groundswell and the, and the technographic ladder. So the key thing that I just want you to take away here is that you, know, you still have you know, that bottom of the iceberg. You have 52% of people who are not active online, not publishing online. That number will shrink, this pie will change. But they're all impacted through the content. Even if they don't read sites, if they're not on Twitter or they're not, they don't even, they've never been to YouTube. Um, they're still impacted by it because it reaches the media, and, it, and then the media reaches them, and it also all gets gobbled up into Google in a very big way. And, uh, and Google, to me, is, uh, is not a search engine. It's a reputation management engine, and it's, uh, it's a playing field for PR. So just, just food for thought there. Um, so we've seen that you know, the trust picture has, has changed over the last few years. Um, Edelman does the study every year. You can find it on our website called the Trust Barometer. We ask opinion leaders, who they trust. And what we've seen is that every year, a person like yourself or a peer is just rising. Um, and, uh, and the net is making this happen. The net is making this happen. And if people are trusting each other more than they trust uh, media, which I, I have another statistic up on our site, then you know, you know, that just alone makes you know, what, what PR is going to be about. It's about relationships. It's about public relationships. So what I'm here to do talk to you about today is you know, that was kind of the setup and that's past. I'm looking forward. I'm looking, you know, that's my, my job is to look forward and look out you know, two years, three years, and also a little bit today, to try to figure out kind of what's going on. Um, and the Boston Consulting Group um, has developed a, a model uh, for studying trends that I absolutely love. It's called Open Files. Um, and uh, what they do is they, they kind of keep track of things in three different open files. And I'm going to talk to you about those today. Um, so the first one. Uh, on the left is faint signals. These are things that are here and now. There's, there's money moving there. Uh, there's business models. There's, there's consumer movement. Uh, and there's enough things that I think that are going on that you can begin to make some bets today on what to do in that area. Uh, the second area is that I'm going to talk about, the second group, is called the watch list. These are things that we're keeping an eye on. 
that, uh, that may or may not have business models, but we think could materialize in the next five, 10 years. And the last one uh, is hallucinations. Um, these are things where you, know, you squint, you think you see something, and uh, you may not, and it might, it might disintegrate. But there's certainly things that we're, we're kind of looking at. And, and, think, and they could graduate up, the tra up this ch uh, tr chain later on. So I'm going to start first with the faint signals. Uh, I'm going to talk about five faint signals today. And all of these are things that I think you can begin to employ now and begin to think about as it relates to your PR programs. Now, I talk a lot to marketers, and I talk a lot to PR people. So I'm going to try to, I'm just curious by the show of hands in the room, how many people here in this room are you know, pure play, media relations, PR people? OK, about half the room. And how many of you are uh, marketing communications more broadly? OK, good. So I'm, I'm uh, far off. OK, great. Um, so the first uh, faint signal I want to talk to you about today is the cut and paste web. So everyone on their, um, you know, on their computer, we all know cut and paste. It's our friend. Uh, it's, every, it's every college student's friend, of course. Um, but uh, it's something that we've, uh, we've been obviously, you know, we've been operating in that mode for a long time. The web now is moving to a cut and paste model where you can take any content that you care about from any site, lift it from that site in a, in a way that's allowed, and put it wherever you want. So, uh, so the, the whole notion of how much traffic does a website get is going to change dramatically. Because it's not about traffic on your site or how many eyeballs you generate to a site. Traffic is something that happens elsewhere. So, you know, so I mean, the way to think of it, the model for it, and uh, the equivalent is the, is the pizza business. You know, for years, you know, uh, when was pizza invented? I don't know, uh, I'm guessing in the 1800s sometime. Um, you know, people went out for pizza. And then suddenly, you know, Domino's and Pizza Hut recognized, hey, you know, we're going to send the pizza to you. Um, and that's what's going on with web content now. Uh, content now is something that follows you wherever you want to put it. Um, and so I think that, you know, everything is becoming portable. And what I mean by that is not mobile. Mobile is part of it. But, I mean, content really, you know, can come off of a site and you can put it wherever you want. And you can put it on any different canvas that you want to choose from. There's many places where you will be able to put content. So the takeaway here is to make sure that every program uh, is, is that you make it so it's portable. You make it so it doesn't just live on a website, but that it actually can go wherever people want to go, whether that be Facebook or MySpace or et cetera. Uh, from a PR perspective, is if you, you know, if you generate a placement or you generate a blog post, track where that goes. Does it spread through Facebook? Does it spread into blogs? And so forth. Um, and how do you actually begin to, to, to make sure that it does? So I'm kind of give you an example here. I think the NBA is doing an amazing job uh, with making their content portable. If you go to nba.com slash widgets, um, what they've done is um, they've taken their entire website and basically broken, you know, they took it, which is, a, you know, if you think of the NBA's website as a ship, they've broken it down into an armada, okay, just of, of like hundreds of little boats. And they've chunked down their content into these little widgets, whether it be a, a scoreboard or a video widget um, or a, a, a player widget, a team widget. And with one click, a little button comes up that says, where do you want to put this? And it gives you a choice. And, and right now, it's MySpace, Facebook, uh, Google, Windows Live, et cetera. And that will just change. There'll be many places where you can put content, including on your own site. I mean, you can actually turn your site, if you want, into a place that can house all this other content. And so what I've done here is I just looked at this, and I clicked on one of these widgets. And with one click, I put it on my, on my Google page. Okay, And now, that content follows me. I don't have to um, go back to the NBA's website anymore. That content is just there updating in real time. 
So, and that, and you know, if you look at my iGoogle page now, it has literally about a dozen widgets that I interact with on that page, never leaving that page. So the whole notion of traffic and page views and, and reach is, is dramatically changing with the cut and paste web. Be ready for it. Um, the second faint signal, and I think everybody in this room knows this well, is the attention crash. Um, you've heard about the stock market crash. You've heard about the real estate crash. Um, the attention crash, I think, is possibly that much more dramatic. Um, you know, everybody in this room, I'm sure, gets more than 100 emails a day, if not more. And on top of that, you get SMSs, and you get IMs, and you get phone calls, uh, and you're also making phone calls, and putting out SMSs, and putting out um, emails. Um, the, the reality is, though, that the number of inputs that we have as individuals has exceeded what we're capable of managing. Now, the younger you are, the, the more able you are to deal with this. I walk around my office, and we have an open space uh, down in Union Square, and I, will, I have a terrible habit of looking at screens. I have a terrible habit of looking at screens. Um, and um, as I walk around, I see everyone you know, with 25 IM windows, Facebook going on at one time, emails going on at one time, going switching back and forth on multiple monitors, Okay, because we have a lot of multiple monitors where we're set up. So the younger people seem to be able to do this better than, 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 than you know, people in their 30s and 40s. But still, I think they are going to hit a, a saturation point at some point. So, you know, uh, and Hugh McLeod, a blogger who, who as a friend of ours, likes to say, humans can't scale. Technology will do a great job scaling. It's going to put out as much information as you want. But as human beings, we just can't scale. And so the idea here, you know, for you, the insight is keep it simple. If people can't understand something in three seconds or less, they will be gone. It's just everything is a click away on the web. And so if you use simplicity, uh, to your advantage, I think it can, it can be uh, to your gain. So let me give you an example of somebody who's done that really well. Um, there's a company called Blendtec uh, that makes uh, blenders for the food service industry. Uh, and they've done a video series called Will It Blend, which you can find at Will It Blend, I believe it's at willitblend.com. And what their CEO does is he takes all different kinds of things, gadgets, food combinations, um, you know, things that you wouldn't expect to blend, and he puts them into a blender and he smashes them up to bits. Um, and uh, it's, it's very comical, it conveys the message, and you get it in three seconds or less. This has boosted their sales dramatically. It became a giant hit on YouTube. So going back, actually this combines with the cut and paste web. They didn't just activate it off their website, they activated it inside a community where the people were. So um, you know, they kept it simple, and it worked. It worked because you got it right away, and it's still working, it's still extremely popular, and it's evergreen, it's gonna scale. Um, so, I mean, that's a real uh, an idea of just how the attention crash can, can work to your advantage if you, make it, if you turn it on its head. Uh, a related um, faint signal is, uh, is digital curation. So we have all this content everywhere, okay? Uh, no longer are the media and professionals the only experts. We the people are, are experts in all of our different domains. But the problem with that is that there's so much content everywhere that it's just you know, impossible to, to separate the art from the junk. And so when you go to the great museums of the world, um, there's somebody in every museum, obviously a team of people, many people, who decide you know, what's art and what's junk, and they make that choice in that museum. Well, the same thing is happening online. There's going to be individuals uh, and companies and brands and media companies that are curators, that they will basically they will aggregate different content from across the web in one place in, given, in different niches. Uh, and they will set, help you understand what's art and what's junk. Now, some of this will be done automatically through algorithms and technology, but a lot of it will be human-powered. 
Um, and so, I mean, I think what's going to happen is that every niche will be met, every high interest niche at least, will be met by a digital curator. So if you're, um, you know, if you're a brand now, you can be that curator. You can own that space if it's not owned. I mean, is it going to be possible to own technology? No. Is it going to be possible to own po politics? No, but you can go into a niche and you can kind of become the digital curator on that topic. Um, and so I think that, you know, do that before that niche is met. Um, here's a, a great example. You don't have to do this alone, by the way. You can do this in partnership with other people. Um, there's a great site called Popurls, P-O-P-U-R-L-S.com. Uh, and very uh, uh, simplistic site. What they do is they roll up, um, they roll up the, the, the kind of the, the big sites, the big social sites on one place. They show you what's hot on Dig, they show you what's hot on Delicious, what's hot on YouTube, and they roll it up in one place. Well, they are represented by a company called Federated Media. And what Federated does is um, they partner with bloggers and content publishers, and then they match them up with brands to do content programs together. So what Pop Rolls did is they partnered with Intel, uh, and they created a blue version of Pop Rolls that aggregates hardware news, security news, PC maintenance, virtualization, et cetera, all things related to Intel uh, in, a, uh, in a branded space at blue.poprolls.com. So they just took the same model, and they said, OK, you're already a curator. You're going to be a curator now for Intel, and Intel will pay you, and we'll, and we'll do a revenue share. Um, and as part of that also is that Intel gets to feature their content on this site. So this is digital curation at work. Okay? You know, they recognized there was a, there was, Intel recognized there was a void that could be met, and they actually then partnered with a publisher to make that happen. Very smart idea. The next faint signal is super crunching and data mining. Um, you know, the digital space is the most addressable form of media ever. And a lot of us in PR, uh, we're not quants. I'm not a quant. I'm the first to admit that. Um, and I think that, that data mining and visualization tools can be used to your advantage on the front end of a campaign as well as on the back end. And I think it's how you use all this stuff and you cobble it together. Um, I talked about Google a few minutes ago. You know, Google is not just a search engine. It's, it's, it's going to be an operating system for marketing. Okay, and you will be able to use it on the front end of programs and on the back end to really think about how you construct things. Um, John Battelle, who's a, a friend of mine, who wrote a book called The Search, I highly recommend it, uh, talks about databases of intent, that Google is a database of intent. So a lot of you now may be scanning blogs and reading, you know, tracking blogs and measuring that content and measuring Twitter. That's all great. But as the, as the groundswell showed you, that's only 25%, arguably, of, of all people who are online. Maybe even less, could be 10%, depending on the country. Um, and so you have this giant group of people underneath that every day are going to Google and Yahoo and Microsoft and, and saying, I want, I need, I think. And all that, content, all that data gets aggregated. And the great thing is, you can track it. So there's many different tools that you can use to look at this. Um, just a, a very simplistic one is Google Trends. Um, and you know, Google Trends does not actually give you hard data. But what they do is they, they, can, they let you compare search terms and they let you show how they're trending. And so for fun this morning, I went in and I put in PR and I put in advertising. Um, and I, just, I found it curious that, um, that searches for advertising were going down. Um, searches for PR were kind of flat. On the bottom there is news volume. News volume about advertising seems to be trending upward, as is PR. You know, anecdotal, but you could go in here and put dog, cat, you know, uh, any different types of things. But what's interesting is that you could use this as, as a tool. So let me give you an idea here. You go into Google Trends. Let's say you're doing a product launch tomorrow, and you're launching the, you know, the widget Y, something that never existed before. 
Um, and so Google searches for that, that thing right now are going to be zero. Okay. Well, and, but you also know where your competitor can, lies in that spectrum because you can put them into, the, into Google Trends. Well, you can track over time if the, if the work you did, whether it be the community work you do online or the uh, press you do online or whatever you do online, has impacted, and, and offline as well, impacted search. Did, did more people start searching for that product? And you can't put a hard number on it, but you can, on a relative basis you can tell. That's great. Let's say you're thinking about, you know, uh, a creative idea for a campaign. You can go into Google Trends and you can see how much are people searching for this. Is that content going to get indexed by Google? Is it going to be ranked highly? Is it going to be a high interest topic? Um, this is just one simplistic example of what's out there and free to you to use. Um, there's lots of different analytic tools you can use and obviously on the back end for measurement this is also extremely powerful. But the idea here is use the data. The data is extremely valuable. And okay, the last faint signal I'm going to talk about is collaboration. So a lot of people think about the digital space and the web as a vehicle for communications. It definitely is, but it's so much more. Um, the web is actually a platform for action. It's for people who are like-minded to get together, to work together towards some shared desired outcome. That outcome could be, we want to be entertained, so we're going to spend a lot of time on YouTube. That outcome could be we want to create the next great Alexandria, so we're going to contribute to Wikipedia. It also could be nefarious as well. But the idea is that you know, people are working together towards shared outcomes. And we're seeing this in particular with Generation Y. They want to work together, uh, they expect to work together, and with brands. So here's a little model that we've, we're, we've developed that I think can get you thinking about how to employ collaboration. Um, arguably, there are two different um, spans here that you can look at as it relates to marketing communications. On the left hand side you have a spectrum that goes from controlled up to open. So, and you could be anywhere along that continuum. You can't be both. You can't be controlled and open at the same time. You're either one or the other or in between. On the bottom uh, you're communicating, pushing out messages, and on the other side is you're collaborating. You're receiving messages and you're working together and, and it's more Talk, less talk, more action. Put it together and you get four quadrants. Um, and so what I think you can do is you can begin to look at different tactics and you can kind of begin to layer them in these different quadrants. And you can say where are they and what do they do? So I'm going to argue that advertising is all the way in that left, bottom left hand box, controlled communication. Now I couldn't stick that little black box all the way into the corner, PowerPoint wouldn't let me. Um, but I mean that's largely where, where it belongs. Um, public relations, I think, is less controlled, but you know, depending on what aspect of it you look at, press releases or whatever it is, it's still fairly a, a, a controlled vehicle. Um, viral video, more open. You know, you put a video out there, you hope that people talk about it, you hope that there's they talk back to you, but it's not really designed to facilitate an outcome. Um, you know, things like co-created ads help us create the next Doritos ad for the Super Bowl. Definitely collaborative, um, but they're controlled because at the end the brand decides who is going to be the winner, and there's some choices there. And then in the upper right, you have things that are completely open, or more open, and collaborative. And I think corporate blogs are up there when they're done right. Uh, when, when people are posting about their problems, their issues, their thoughts, and they're using it to, to, to gain insight and to gain collaboration from the community towards making the products better. Um, I think that uh, community engagement's up there, and idea storms, which is something I'm going to talk about too in a moment, is up there. 
So the idea here for you, the insight here is, that green quadrant is not going to you know, overlap that, that yellow quadrant. They're all going to be around. Okay? But it's how you begin to harness this as a system. How you use one quadrant to push people up towards the other quadrant and vice versa. And what you do with that and what does that actually facilitate and what actions and outcomes come out of that. Um, and so you know, the idea here is figure out where your audience is. You know, do they want to be, are, are they more receptive to you know, controlled vehicles? Figure out where you're, or they, uh, or they kind of apply and they want to be action-oriented. The younger they are, the more action-oriented they will be. Um, and then you can kind of create programs that really map to their interests and map up that ladder. So you can use it as a planning tool. And I think that that's just largely what collaboration is about. Um, we'll talk here about Starbucks. Um, Starbucks is one of our clients. Uh, we did not do this site for them. Um, we helped launch it, but we did not do the site for them. Uh, so, you know, Starbucks obviously is going through a lot of change right now and they're trying to figure out uh, how to be a better company in many different ways. And they launched a great site called mystarbucksidea.com where anybody in the world can come along and say, Starbucks, we think you should do X, Y, or Z. Uh, and then people can then vote on that as, as the ideas come in. And then Starbucks then looks at all the ideas and they determine which ones they're going to implement and they actually label them as under review or under consideration or, or implemented. Um, and actually here in this case, you see one about free Wi-Fi and they say, and Starbucks market is coming soon. So to me, this is very much in the upper right-hand quadrant. It's open, anybody can come along and contribute. It's collaborative, people working together towards a shared outcome. We want things that benefit the company, that also benefit Starbucks. Um, and I think that you know, it's up to Starbucks to walk the talk, look what's in here, and actually act on those different things. So that's a really uh, simple idea, and they use controlled vehicles to push people up here. It's great. I go into my local Starbucks every morning, and there's a little card there at the register that says, um, you know, help us create, help us make Starbucks a better place to be, uh, to shop, to buy, et cetera. And that's a very controlled vehicle, a little, you know, two by two card that they printed. Um, but it's pushing people up towards the upper right hand quadrant where things happen. So that's just an idea of, of you know, something you can take advantage of today. Don't think of the web as just communication, it's about collaborating. So those are the faint signals. Those are the things that are here and now. Uh, now I'm going to talk about a couple things that are on my watch list. Things that I'm watching out for, I, I don't know if I would bet money on them now or bet programs on them now, but there's certainly the areas of experimentation, let's put it that way. The first is living room 2.0. Um, and first of all, this is not my living room. Lots of people think it is. Uh, I don't have fish like that. If I did, they'd be dead. Uh, with all the travel I do. Um, but um, but you know, the idea here is that um, the internet's coming to the living room in a big way. That, that's, that's just my gut. Um, and it's going to come you know, not just from the three foot experience, the PC, but it's going to come from the 10 and 20 foot experience through the HD set. And that's, I think, a, a very exciting opportunity. However, it's very, very early days. Um, so in my house, um, you know, I have a, a, I have a uh, LCD. And uh, connected to the LCD, I have a uh, Apple TV device and I have an Xbox 360. Um, and they're both connected to the internet and I'm able to actually download content and view them on my uh, TV screen. So at home, on my Apple TV, um, I will go home, and especially when I have to work at night, um, I will put on uh, classical music through my H uh, Apple TV and I will have it stream photos of my, my friend's photos from Flickr right on my set. So that's social networking coming off the cloud onto my set and I'm watching it. Now, I'm a geek and, and I, you know, I'm a confessed geek. I'm in the upper 5% of people who probably do that right now. You know, my mom does not do that. But 
you know, millions of people have Xbox consoles. And uh, you, know, you can very soon be download community games that, that anybody in the world contributed uh, onto your Xbox and play them. That's going to be very exciting. So the Xbox is opening up as a platform. Um, I think that we're also going to see the cable companies eventually open up their boxes to YouTube and other kinds of content. Um, and so I think that social networking is going to come into the living room. It is definitely early days. It's not a, a mass phenomenon now by any stretch of the imagination, but it is something I'm watching. So I think you know, the thing to do here is to buy one of these devices. You know, an Apple TV costs $225. Um, it's, you know, I know in this economy it's, it's a little bit of a luxury purchase, but I definitely recommend it. Or buy one for your office and experiment and see what it can do. Because I think you'll be impressed that you can watch video podcasts in high def from citizens, not from professionals, on your screen by downloading it directly over the internet. Now there's going to be a space race to see who gets in there, which box wins, sling boxes in there, TiVo's in there. There are a lot of different players and the TV is going to start to look more like a PC. But I think that eventually we're going to see branded content come into the, uh, over the internet, come directly into the set um, around these different niches. Now, buckle that in with digital curation, and you got a big idea, right? So you, I think this is something in the beginning, but I wouldn't spend a lot of money here yet um, because it's not something that is a mass, you know, has a lot of people doing it yet. I think in a few years it will be. Um, the second thing on my watch list is the geek marketer. Um, what we're seeing is, is that you know, the, the pace of change in technology is so fast and you know, sites come and go and you know, we're talking about one thing one week and the next week it's toast and something else comes along. Um, it requires a, a, a mode of experimentation. It requires really a, a, a people who can study the trends. And what I'm seeing on the client side, I'm not sure how many of you are on the client side versus the agency side, um, that a lot of people are kind of, a lot of companies that are hiring kind of ambassadors to kind of be the digital shepherd in that company, to study all this stuff, to go to the conferences, to talk to people, to try things, to make sense of it all, and then to figure out what's going to be actionable and to make money from it. And there's a couple of people I know who, who do that um, in, in different Fortune 500 companies. So if you're on the agency side, you want to know who those people are and you want to befriend them. Uh, if you're on the uh, client side, you may want to think about hiring one of those people or at least carving out that time uh, out of somebody's uh, load because I just find that, you know, I mean, I, I go home every night and I study for four hours a night. That's largely what I do, and I do that on weekends too. I mean, I'm literally taking white papers to the beach and I'm reading them. Um, and I just find that I have to study to keep up because if I don't, I'm toast. And, and to some degree, then that can impact my clients and the agency. Uh, so I think that all of us as individuals, and the fact that you're here is a testament to that, need to be studying on this stuff on, on a daily basis because it does change every six to eight months. If you can't commit those resources then, uh, to yourself because of the attention crash, um, then find somebody who can do that within your organization. And, 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 I, and I think that is something I'm seeing happen increasingly. Okay, the last thing I'm going to talk about are hallucinations. Um, so, uh, you know, these are things that are out there. I don't know if they're, these are going anywhere or not, but I think that there's, you know, if I squint, I see something kind of going on. The first is uh, digital nomads. Um, so I, I travel around the world, um, and wherever I go, uh, I obviously try to find Wi-Fi connections, um, which is like my, you know, second I, before I find water or food or drink, it's you know Wi-Fi is, is, is more important to me. Um, and uh, you know wherever I go, I see these people working, and, and I talk to them, and I say, "What do you do?" And they're like, "Well, I'm uh, you know," and they give me some fancy title. And I'm like, "Oh, what does that mean?" Well. 
I basically travel the world and I work from anywhere. I'm like, really? Yeah, and so there's a, there's a group of individuals, that, again, small in number, who I see who basically have either A, they work for a corporation and they're completely virtual, uh, or B, they, uh, they're independent you know, freelancers, if you will, in different fields, information workers, knowledge workers, that largely say, okay, I'm gonna engineer my life the way I want it to be, and if I wanna live in Buenos Aires uh, for four weeks at a time and then go to another country, I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna work from anywhere. There's a blog you can go read about this at called AnyWired, uh, which is an interesting blog about a couple uh, that travel from place to place and work in different places, and I think they run a graphic design company. Um, so, you know, digital nomads are, are interesting. Um, they're influential. I'm seeing more of them. Um, it's a trend. I don't, you know, there's, a, there's an entire book called The Four-Hour Workweek that was a huge bestseller last year. I don't know if this is a big trend or not, but I certainly think this is interesting. And I think that, you know, um, you know all these individuals are using web-based collaboration tools a lot. They're publishing online a lot. They're collaborative. They're younger. Um, and, and I see also, you know, Jen Wires also fed up with, I'm not gonna go work for a corporation. I can go do this myself. I'm independent, thank you. Um, so it's conceivable that companies are gonna be uh, more virtual uh, than they are today. And, uh, and these individuals are gonna be more dispersed and more distributed. We'll have to see how this evolves. It's very early today. Okay, the last uh, uh, hallucination I'm gonna talk about is uh, data leaking. Uh, we all have these little devices. I brought my presentation on one. Um, and these are our best friends and our worst enemies. Um, what's happening is, is that information, whether you like it or not, is seeping out of institutions everywhere, okay? So I'll give an example. I now get about one-third of my email uh, from uh, either, that is sent to me either through Facebook's messaging system or through Twitter's direct messaging system and other systems. So they're not even using email, they're just communicating with me through Twitter and reaching me. All that content is housed on Twitter's servers or housed on Facebook servers. It's not hosed, housed on Edelman servers or in Gmail, which is my personal mail. Um, and so information is gonna leak everywhere, particularly uh, with, with the younger generation. Um, and the reason for that is that technology outside the enterprise, uh, you know, in all these different consumer sites, uh, it, it innovates far faster than what companies are able to do inside. So, you know, in, I'll give you, in Edelman, we have a mailbox limit, it's a, it's a few hundred megabytes, whereas Gmail, you got four gigs, okay? Or Yahoo, you have unlimited. So what we're seeing, and it's free, we're seeing though a lot of people beginning to use web-based collaboration tools that are from outside the company. So your data is gonna go everywhere. Whether you like it or not, it's gonna go everywhere. Um, and so I think that, you know, uh, that's a trend we're seeing. Be in front of that. Enable that. You know, use Facebook as a, as a, as a platform for your uh, employees to work together. Use Facebook for, to, to work with media if they will allow you to do so. So just recognize that not everything has to happen in these little controlled environments. It's going to happen everywhere. Um, but it's early. And, there might, and obviously there's going to be a big tussle with that as companies try to crack down on that kind of stuff. So again, just to sum up, the faint signals, the cut and paste web. Okay, it's not about websites. It's about web services. Traffic is something that happens elsewhere, not just on your site. So make sure that you make everything portable so they can go in all these different places where people want to cut it and paste it. The attention crash. People have a lot more inputs than they're capable of managing. Uh, you gotta keep it simple, three seconds or less, otherwise they're gone. Digital curation, big opportunity. You know, find the niches 
uh, that, that are high interest, that are not being met by a curator who can separate art from junk and be that curator or find them. Uh, collaboration, work together towards shared outcomes. And those things are faint signals. Watch list, hallucinations. Keep an eye on them. Check back with me in a year. I don't know if they're going to be big today or not. But that's what's in my open files. And I'm happy to take questions or have a discussion. Are there any questions? Uh, yes. If when engaging uh, social media, you need to keep it simple, as you say, and keep it within a three-second time frame, um, how is it the, that you sustain the depth of the message and the level of engagement that you want if you're limited to such a short amount of time? Well, I think what's going to happen is that um, you know, people will go deep in areas they're passionate about. So I mean, it's no secret I'm passionate about Apple products. Okay? And so I'm reading you know, 35 blogs on Apple products. Um, because I just want to understand how to maximize that technology and make it work for me. Um, so I think that you know, there's people who are passionate about baseball or knitting or whatever it is, politics. They're going to go deep into those areas. So I would say that's where you, where you plant your seeds. Uh, you find those folks who maybe, you, you have to probably be short to get their attention, but then once you build a relationship with them, and I think you have to do so as an individual, not just as a company, as an individual, then I think you can begin to have a deeper relationship with them by all means. Yes, over here. Eric is the mic. Oh, she's got. Okay. Well, everyone in PR, even PR marketing, speak loud. <laughs> often there are big companies that are Certainly. Um, you know, on the positive side, we're doing a program for Brita uh, now that's actually uh, that's, that's very collaborative and, and, and very uh, positive. So uh, we did some, some research online, and we found out that a lot of people are you know, frustrated. They buy these bottled waters, and uh, you know, uh, they recycle them, but lots of other people don't. They throw them away. Um, and obviously, uh, that was a, a key insight for Brita, because they make the water filters, and, and that has an environmental impact as well. So what we did is they launched a, a site called Filter for Good, where people could, could pledge to give up the water bottles, which I, obviously I did not do, um, in exchange uh, to get a discount off of Brita filters. And that was you know, highly collaborative. It tied into a win-win for the company and for the, and for the individuals. And they did that not just on the, on the Filter for Good site. They activated, we activated it inside Facebook. So, um, so that was an idea of we, play, we found this higher order bit, which was people want to you know, be environmentally friendly. They want to have some contribution to the world. And we did a program that did that win-win. So that's an example of how we use an insight to drive collaboration towards a, towards a shared outcome. Where it doesn't work, um, you know, I don't, I, there's a million of examples of those. I, I can't think off the top of my head, but, um, and, I'm, and I'm reluctant to bash any one brand. Um, but I think where, where it doesn't work is where people try to game the system, where they just, you know, and I, honestly, the vast majority of corporate blogs don't work because they're just talking about themselves. I think Dell was the company for a while that did not get it that has turned around dramatically. When they first launched their blog um, two years ago, three years ago, it was, okay, here's our product and here's what it does. Great. But they've moved off that now. They're now posting 
site designs and say, here's what our website, we're thinking about doing with our website. What do you think before we even launch it? Uh, they also have a site like Starbucks where people can come and suggest ideas. It's built on the same platform. So they've evolved. It's not about talking at people and just using it as, a, as another vehicle. It's about working together towards, towards a win-win about what people care about. Remember, everyone cares about themselves. They don't give a damn about you. You know what? Wait one sec. I do want to bring the, the mic over because we're recording the session. Um, Steve, a lot of a lot of um, corporations want to start blogs, and we've been hearing from a lot of people on the client side here today that they don't have the resources. And I work for an agency, and a lot of the corporations are asking the agency to write the blogs or to at least um, ghostwrite some of the, the um, blog posts. And I was wondering what your thoughts are about, about that. Is it sustainable and is it wise? No, it's not, it's, it's not sustainable because you need, you know, what people are going to want to see is they're going to want to see that the person's there and actually engaged. And, they, and, and, and the corporate blogs are less about the corporate, more about the blogs. Uh, and it's more about the individuals. I would rather put 10 individuals who work in the basement out um, and are going to be passionate about a subject than put a CEO out any day of the week. Because nine times out of ten, they're going to have more time. Um, I think agencies ghostwriting, probably not a good idea. Agencies guiding on content, great idea. You know, um, knowing what's topical, knowing what the trends are, using some of the analytics tools that I showed you to kind of derive insights to guide a strategy. That's all fine and well and good. But I think you need the people from the company to write it uh, and, and live in it on a daily basis. Um, otherwise, don't do it. That's just my advice. Well, um, unfortunately, that's, that's all the time we have. But, but thank you very much for coming. Thank you, Eric. We're going to have a, uh, some special effects in the room right now. They're going to hang an air wall. So, uh, no? Pardon me? Ah, we're not taking a break now. We have two speakers here. And then we're going to have special effects. Okay? So um, I'd like to invite our speakers up, and, uh, and we'll switch the stage. <laughs>